Welcome to episode 364 of the Thunder Underground podcast. Trent here. This week, got a special one for you because not only are we celebrating a bunch of albums from a year, 30 years ago, but we're also celebrating the return of Jason to the podcast. If you've listened to this podcast for a while, you know we've been doing this now since uh, May of 2015. And here we are on the verge of 2023, coming up on eight full years here. But Jason stepped away from the podcast in the summer of 2021, and since then he's made his return now. This will be the second time. He showed up earlier this year. We did a tribute to Taylor Hawkins after he passed away, and now Jason's here to do this episode the best of 1992, because this is something that we had talked back and forth about doing for a long time, for many years, because we would bring up 92, it seemed like every other episode, so at some point we're like, we should just do an episode about the year, then of course, like a lot of other ideas we had, they just kept getting pushed off, and then some point this year, probably in the summer, I was like, hey, this is the perfect time to actually do this, because it's the 30th anniversary. And then the same fashion, I'm out of town a lot now for work, and things happen. It just kept getting pushed off, but recently I realized, hey, if we're going to do this as a quote-unquote anniversary type thing, it needs to happen soon. So, anyway, Jason and I finally got together and knocked out this episode here just in time to make the mark for 1992 here, 30 years later in 2022. So we're here on Christmas week, so I hope everybody has a great Christmas or great holidays or whatever it is you do. But first, before we jump into this episode, I need to let you know who we're sponsored by, and that would be DEB Concerts, a promoter based right here in Tulsa that has continually brought great acts to the Tulsa area. Arena-level shows like the Metal Tour of the Year, featuring Megadeth and Lamb of God, Poison, Tom Kiefer, and L.A. Guns at the BOK Center for an arena show, Snoop Dogg and Ice Cube for two back-to-back sold-out nights at the BOK Arena. Also brought tons of acts to the club level, like Saxon, Last in Line, Warrant, Lita Ford, Great White, Winger, the list is great and long. DB Concerts also books the Roadhouse stage every year at Rocklahoma. They've done that the last few years, and I'm pretty sure that 2023 will be no exception. And actually, that lineup should be coming here in the next couple months, I would think. So when that happens, we'll, of course, be talking about that. But in the meantime, debconcerts.com is where you can be kept up to date with info. Follow them on all the socials. Facebook, Twitter, Instagram is all DEB Concerts. Also got Med Farm, a dispenser located in Broken Arrow, Oklahoma, 24683 East Highway 51. They're directly off the highway. They've got a drive-thru, which is a great thing, because you can call ahead, text, or email, set up your order, and then just drive through the drive-thru and pick it up. You can also drive through there and place an order, I believe, or you can go inside. You can also hit up leafly.com beforehand to check out their huge selection before you step in there, but you can also just step in there. And they've got a great staff that can help you out with anything you need to know. 
their cannabis with a cause. 30% of their proceeds at all time go to build no-kill animal shelters, which is an amazing cause. They're giving nearly a third of their profits at all times to, you know, something worthy. So that's a very cool thing. So hit them up on their socials, MedFarm, that's P-H-A-R-M. On Facebook, Instagram, it's at MedFarmOK. Their website is MedFarmOK.com. They're always running specials on their socials, so don't miss those. And, of course, one special that's always running is if you mention Thunder Underground, they'll give you 10% off your first order. So hit up MedFarm. Tell them you heard about them here. We've also got Sunset Tattoo, tattoo shop located in Midtown Tulsa. Tattoos are done good and proper. They're state licensed and mother approved. 25 plus years of experience. You can check out photos of all their work on the socials. Facebook and Instagram are both Sunset Tattoo Tulsa. Tons of different styles. You can see everything there. Find out that it's great work. I've had work done. I'm very happy with it. I know several other people that have as well. And I'm looking forward to doing more here very soon. So if you call ahead or email or text, I'm sure, you can set up a time to get in there to talk about what work you're looking to have done. And tell them you heard about them right here on Thunder Underground. There was a few things I wanted to talk about on the next episode that I did. But this episode with Jason is pretty lengthy. That's almost... Two hours. I think we talked about an hour and 45 minutes. So I'm not going to ramble too much. This is the first episode here in a few weeks because the last episode was late November with Josie Scott, the original singer of Saliva, which that was a fun one. So check that one out if you have not. And then I ended up going out of town. I went to Saudi Arabia. I was gone for almost a couple weeks. Worked a music festival in Saudi Arabia. It wasn't rock, so it's not anything really to talk about here other than, you know, it was a great experience being able to see a completely different culture, you know, the way that they support music as well, because it's a brand new thing to a lot of the people there, because Saudi has not had events like this up until recently. 2019 was the first one. After the pandemic, this is now the third one, and it's a massive event. They had 150,000 people show up. And, you know, by comparison, the largest festivals in America were like 120 to 130. And that's like Coachella and EDC and maybe Lollapalooza is over 100,000. But, you know, most festivals in America run between like 30 to your average festival, I would think, run like 30 to 60 on a day. Like our local in Rocklahoma is usually between 25 and 35,000. Uh, I know Electric Forest, which is big when it's sold out, it's like 50-some thousand. You know, just by comparison, that's what we're dealing with here. And just to be able to experience that was a very cool experience. If you see me out and about, ask about it, and I'd love to tell you more. I was going to speak about Metallica's new song, which dropped while I was in Saudi Arabia, and I listened to it there. But you'll hear about that here in just a bit, because I waited to talk to Jason about it since Jason is the diehard Metallica fan. The last thing I wanted to throw out was Pantera. They've, you know, I've spoke about this many times since they made the announcement that Pantera was returning with Phil and Rex and Charlie Benante and Zach Wild in tow. Well, they had their first shows 
as well when I was in Saudi, and they've done a few since. And there is plentiful video out there. You can find crappy cell phone footage. You can find great video. I found just the other day I saw a very high quality video of five minutes alone. There's also several videos floating around from, I believe it was Cowboys from Hell or Wong. I think it was Cowboys from Hell. And there's probably some other songs as well, but Cowboys from Hell in Chile. They, the crowd was, you know, phenomenal. There were circle pits, like three or four circle pits going on all the way back. And then there was like just this mass amount of people just all jumping in unison. And it's kind of a thing that that area, I believe, is known for, you know, in South America. You know, you can look up the ACDC's, you know, pro shot river plate performance. You know, look that up, look up Highway to Hell, and, you know, the whole crowd is just, it's unbelievable, you know, just to see the passion these people had for music. But the point is, like I've mentioned a few times, I'm not going to go into it, but I'm fully supportive of this quote-unquote re reunion or tribute or whatever it is you want to call it. I know the other people aren't, but these videos sound great. I mean, the music sounds great. Charlie is doing exactly what he said he would do. He said in an interview that if you close your eyes, he wants it to sound like Vinnie Paul's there. And, you know, Charlie and Vinnie don't sound the same, really. But you listen to these Pantera videos, it's got that pop, it's got that bombastic sound that Vinnie had. And Zach, you know, sounds great. It's Zach Wild. You know, he sounds great. Sure, he's not playing the solos the same, which I can see why people are bitching about that. But I don't know. I'm not going to get into that right now. He's pulling the riffs off. And that sounds great. You know, I mean, I'm fully into it. Hoping I get the chance to see it. You know, speaking of Metallica, they announced a bunch of dates Starting next summer, they go into 2024 as well, and Pantera is opening up a lot of these dates, so that's a very cool thing. All right, with all that being said, let's jump into this. Like I mentioned before, and like I'm going to mention several times once we talk here, 1992, Jason and I were in ninth grade, I believe, I guess ninth grade at the early part of the year and 10th grade in the later part of the year, if I'm thinking, if I'm doing math right. But I was 14 into 15 that year. You know, it was a pretty big time for me, just like enveloping everything music. You know, I'd really got into music a few years before the late 80s. You know, when I was like a 10 to 12, you know, it was like the big time for me to like really start soaking it in. But then by the time 92 came around, you know, I was fully into everything, like Guns N' Roses, all the 80s stuff, Molly Crew, Def Leppard, Bon Jovi, and Poison Warrant, etc., etc., and I'd also really gotten into the Metallica and Anthrax with Persistence of Time and Attack of the Killer Bees, and then Megadeth. I'd start getting into Rest in Peace, and then, of course, this came out, and then a little bit heavier stuff from your typical melodic stuff like Queensryche and so on and so forth. But then by 92, we started getting the Seattle sound moving in. Your Pearl Jam, Nirvana, Soundgarden, Alice in Chains, and of course, Stone Toe Pilots from California. But they all came in the same time. And then you had bands like, 
you know, Jack will come out of nowhere. Ugly Kid Joe come out of nowhere. Well, I mean, that kind of came out the year before, but their first full-length album. And then you had, like, the Black Crows in the middle of it all. You had stuff like Blind Melon coming out. You had stuff like Smashing Pumpkins coming out. Just everything was happening all at once. And it was that great transition year where you got to hear the best of everything. Let's jump into this. Here's Jason and I talking about 1992. All right, so before we get into this 92 talk, Something I haven't talked about on this podcast yet is the new Metallica song. Oh, so since oh, I've got man. you sitting here, God, I didn't know I didn't know you were going to do this. I just wanted to spring it on you, okay? Because in my head, I was like, I'm going to talk about this on the next episode, right? Which right, to be this one, okay? But I thought it makes more sense to have you talk about it as well since you're here, right? Okay. So I mean, I guess you go first, Alexa okay, Turner. Thank you. Well, first of all, thanks for having me back. Of course. Um, thanks for coming to my humble abode and doing this in my weird tape slash closet room. <laughs> I appreciate that. Yeah. Uh, as in the way of the new Metallica song, Lexi Turner, I think it is a great fucking song. I think it's, um, I think it's everything that encompasses Metallica right now. Um, I think that it is. Uh, like upon first listen, I think it's better than anything on the last record on Hardwired. It seems to me like since since the bottom falling out of like Saint Anger, you know they they just slowly get better with every release. I mean, not Lulu. That's different to me. I don't think you can count that for anything. But Death Magnetic was definitely better than Saint Anger. Hardwired was better than Death Magnetic. And this is all my opinion, whatever. <laughs> and so this song is better. I don't know. I ho- hopefully this whole record takes on that that vibe for me. But I mean, it's just a great. Uh, it's a fast, jumpy song to start out with, a first single or whatever. Um, it's you know, and it's totally a. Uh, it's like a throwback to the whole new wave of British heavy metal kind of sound. Um, and it's, I told you, I told you it's like, it's like if Saxon and Diamond Head and Motorhead got together and had a baby. Yeah. And then I'm like, wait, that's Metallica anyways. <laughs> you know, so I mean, it's totally just, it's them just, you know, you know, it's they're hanging their influences and they're kind of hanging their balls out there. It's just a great, I think it's just a great way to go and a great song to kick off this whole, you know, M72, 72 seasons uh, campaign of, you know, the, and I love the whole black and yellow imagery and um, the solo's badass. Yeah. Uh, it's just, um, I, I really enjoy it. Right on. Yeah, I thought 
it instantly gave me a vibe of like straight old school Metallica music wise, you know? Right. With James singing non old school Metallica. I don't know. Early Metallica, obviously he was like right. higher pitched. Yeah. Right? But as you're as anyone, your voice is gonna change over forty years. Right. So that that was my only thing that caught me off guard when I first heard it was just kind of like him singing in the choruses. Because it sounds even I don't really remember him doing that in the past couple albums. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, it's and, um, it, it was almost like he's improved it. Yeah. Somehow, even though he's gotten older. Yeah. So that that's that's great, but it's like you say, everything changes. Your voice changes. Yeah. You know. So yeah. And I don't look at it negatively. It just kind of threw me off guard. And but after hearing it a few times, then to me now it just sounds like Metallica. Right. Because I'm I'm hearing it. Right. And. I get it. To me, I, I, I understand. It, it sounds different, but it sounds like James. Yeah. So, there you go. Yeah. And the, and you mentioned Motorhead. Like, when you first hear it, that that double bass drum sounds mm-hmm. like Motorhead. Yeah. It doesn't sound like, I don't exactly. know. Exactly. Like you said, obviously Lars has done double bass before, but it just sounded totally mm-hmm. different. Like, it just sounded like Motorhead, I guess. Right, right. <laughs> right. But at the same time, it didn't make the sound, the song sound like Motorhead. It's just like, oh, those drums are reminiscent of Motorhead, yeah. which is the mark of a great band. You know, you can, exactly. like you said, show your influence, but still sound like yourself. Exactly. And for a band to be able to do that 40 years later. And, and you know, that's yeah. the thing. And we could go on and talk about, you know, uh, overblown tours that cost, you know, $8,000 and their age and all the shit they've done that sucks or whatever that people think. But I mean... To be to be this far in and to be so comfortable where you could probably just put out anything, yeah. And to for them to still be just you know putting out a banger is great, yeah. And that's I think that's why they're one of the the best, yeah. Yeah, hopefully, uh, like you said, hopefully this is reminiscent of what the album's going to be. Right. I, mean, right. I assume like Hardwired, you you know you got right out the gate with the song Hardwired. Right. And the rest of the album still had some stuff like that, but a lot of the stuff kind of veered in other areas. Yeah. Totally. So I assume this album will be the same, but still, mm-hmm. I don't expect it to be a letdown after yeah. the last couple albums. Oh, no, yeah. yeah. I, don't, I don't think. I'm I'm very much looking forward to it. Yeah. You know, so yeah, there you go. So yeah, a few months away, I guess, and then April something, so. Yep. Speaking yeah. of April, something I wanted to spring on you before we did this. Okay. <laughs> um, is the... Uh, April 1st, 2023, the Two Minutes to Tulsa show at Kane's Ballroom. That's right. I don't want to take a lot of time on this. I don't want to fuck up your deal. No. But I have to talk about this. This is an amazing show coming to Kane's Ballroom. Yeah. Um, you can bet your ass I already have my tickets for it. Um, it's uh, Exciter, Vicious Rumors, Night Demon, Haunt, uh, Night Cobra, Sadistic Force, uh, Hammerhead, uh, Blind Oath from Tulsa. I mean, this is going to be an amazing show. Uh, just traditional, pure fucking heavy metal. Yeah. You know, the, I mean, it's just, I, dude, I can't. And then it's coming, and then it's to Tulsa, and they're calling it two minutes to Tulsa. You know, and Horton Records is involved. I mean, it, it's just. And it's at the Canes on top of all yeah, that. Yeah, and it's at the Canes. I mean, you know, and it starts at like four in the afternoon. It's like, man, I cannot wait for this. This, <laughs> this is, this is going to be the show to be at. Yeah. In twenty twenty three. 
Yeah. Okay, that's all yeah. I wanted to say. And then I'll, if I'm in town, I'll absolutely be there. Oh, you better be. Yeah. You better be. Yeah. That's There's... not one of those ones where it's like, eh. Yeah, like, uh, I'm kind of tired. Yeah, I don't know if I should get... Um, uh, <laughs> I'm old and tired now. No, it's... Right. Yeah, I don't I don't care if I'm shitting out my eyeballs. I'm going to this show. <laughs> that's right. happening. Yeah. Okay, we're good. <laughs> Thank you. Hey, that's just only a little over three months away, so... There you go. That's if you're right. not from around right. here, look that up. Oh, man. It's one you definitely don't want to miss. It's one of those shows that's drivable for, you know? Oh, yeah, totally. Yeah. And, I mean, can you imagine the number of battle vests that are going to be at that show? I know. Watch out. <laughs> just watch out. I just went to Machine Head the other night in Oklahoma City, and right. there was a fuckload of battle vests there. So just uh, imagine, sure. imagine putting that at this show. Yeah, you're just going to be like, we're going to be the minority because we don't own battle yeah, vests. Yeah, exactly. How, how, how was that show? Oh, that was fucking amazing. I mean, same thing. I don't, Hell yeah. I could sit here and ramble for like 10 minutes about it. Right, but it's right. just, I mean, you know, you've seen Machine Head. Yes. Like, I was almost, I was always planning on going, but, you know, like we talked about, or like we just talked about, old and tired. I just got back the week before from being out of the country. I was still like, just yeah. kind of like, eh, you know, and I was like, eh, I'll catch them next time. You know, I was kind of crossing my mind the day before, but then I looked up the set lists and I was like, no, I'm. I'm fucking going to this. Like, I'm not missing this thing. Right. And it, because they basically, they hit every single album. Because, you know, a lot of bands, they'll skip, like, stuff from the, the last couple albums. Yeah. They'll promote that album and they go on to the next tour and you don't hear anything from that album ever again. Yeah. But Machine Head hit at least one song off of every single album. And, really? Now, and that's it, cool. That's cool. And oddly enough, when they played From This Day off the Burning Red, that got probably the biggest cheer of anything like when it started right well you know what that makes that makes me think of i'm sorry we're going off on a tangent but i don't care <laughs> is when we saw him at diamond ballroom years ago um god like 2008 2009 with megadeth oh yeah and like and they suicide played silence yeah and suicide silence like i guess requested a song from the burning red it was actually the singer well, that ended up dying Oh, right. Okay. Like it was his birthday. Yeah, that's right. That's right. Because I remember Rob Flynn saying we haven't played this forever, but he kept bugging us, yep. so we thought it's his birthday. And we didn't get there in time to see Suicide Silence, did we? I don't think so. I don't think so. Yeah, that's right. Okay. And and yeah, and that and it got a pretty good response then. Yeah. You know, and it's funny how it's one of those records that people always hated on, but you know, now and I never did because I fucking loved it. Yeah, same And way. I never had any problems with letting people know I loved it. Right. But, like, years later, people look on it with fondness. So, it's like, okay, all you guys really did love it. Yeah. You just wanted to look like you were hard. Yeah. We just want to be cool because, you know, oh, you know, he's wearing an Adidas tracksuit now. Yeah. And he's got his hair and, you yeah. know, braids. And, yeah. And he's he's rapping on two of these 12 songs. You know, it's right, like... right, right. Three years later, while people were still crapping on it, I guarantee you, they were fucking screaming the blood, the sweat, the tears at the oh, next yeah. show they went to. Yeah. And I mean, that's that became like one of their staples, and that's from that album, you know? Exactly. Exactly. But just to hear that, and the, the newer stuff is so, I mean, that's like my favorite album this year. You know, right, not to right. blow. It is such a great fucking record. Not dude. to blow, you know, my next episode, but it's number. Yeah. It's going to be number one or two. <laughs> and, you know... Um, you know, they played like four songs, I think, off hit, and they even played like Catharsis and Now We Die from the most last couple of times. Yeah. yeah. Well, yeah, like two like hours, said, 40 minutes. 
no opener. I mean, that's what they've been doing the last few tours. Right. So. Like you said, go on and on. Yeah. <laughs> but Machine Head didn't have an album in 92 because they weren't around yet. Right. That's kind of my way to transition. <laughs> <laughs> but you know who was around? Who? Sleaze Bees. Oh, my God. But they didn't make either of our lists, unfortunately. But just yeah. barely didn't make it, let yeah. me tell you. So this is something that we talked about actually a long time ago. Yeah, we talked Did, about We this. talked about doing an episode like this for years, but then mm-hmm. after you left, you know, earlier this year, I was like, we should finally do it because it's the 30th anniversary yes, of these albums. Exactly. 30 years ago. and But throughout the years of us doing this podcast, multiple times we talked about, oh, how great 92 was, you know? Because it was that transition year. Exactly. Because 91, you had stuff out there like Alice in Chains or, you know, on the radio. And mm-hmm. even Nirvana just starting, but it wasn't like taking over. 91 right. was still full of, you know, Warrant and Def Leppard and Guns yes. N' Roses. And in 93, still had a few of those bands hanging on, but it was full-fledged Pearl Jam's Stone of a Pilot's Alice in Chains by 93. Yeah. But 92 was like the perfect mix of all those things together. Not only that... Then you had bands like Jackals come out of nowhere. Exactly. And get popular in a year they probably shouldn't have been able to get popular. No, yeah, no doubt. You had, no doubt. You had the Black Crows, you know, putting out hits. You had stuff like the Gin Blossoms and Blind Melon, yeah. you know, that was coming into the fold. You know, so that alternative music was seeping into the mainstream as well. Even though, like, if you looked, I should have looked up, you know, like, the top 20 albums of, like, in all of music of '92, was probably dominated by like hip hop and hip hop and pop. Right. But you know, so it wasn't the same as it was when you look at those lists from like the late '80s. There's mm-hmm. a ton of rock albums on those lists. Right. So that had already started to change, but still, when it came to like rock radio and what we were paying attention to, it was just like this perfect conglomeration of everything together. You know, it, it was the perfect storm. Yeah, and that's what we've. And that's, I, I was hoping you would go, you would kind of start it off with that, because that's what I wanted to do, too, was, like, just talk about how it, it, it was 91, 92, and 93 were all similar, but, it, you know, I think 92 was, you had, you had the best from, you had the best from uh, all three of those kind of sections, you know, you had the best melodic hard rock stuff that was let's not let's not kid ourselves was on its way out. Yeah, but you still had stuff that was getting radio play that was getting on Headbangers Ball and stuff. Um, and you also had the metal that was going on, the Ritual, Kind of Under Extinction, Vulgar Display of Power. But you had the grunge stuff that was happening too, Alice in Chains, STP. You had all that going on around you. And it was so cool to be to be young and to be able to pick from all this stuff. And what I had noticed at that time was, you know, if you if you liked one and not the other, you know, you you, you were it, it was so sectioned off. Yeah. You know, I, I wore I remember wearing a Slaughter Wildlife T shirt and got made fun of. But, you know, I don't care because I love this and I love Soundgarden or right. whatever. You know, and, we, and that's kind of why, you know, I brag on me and you and Thrasher and all the all, all us guys that we didn't care, you know. 
it was nothing for us to throw in adrenalize and then throw in dirt. Yeah. You know, it, it, it all, it all makes us feel the same great feeling. And, you know, to be, to be a teenager and to be at that time, it was just a really cool vibe and a lot of stuff to pick from. And, uh, I think, and I, you know, and then, you know, now that I'm talking that way, it makes me think of the tour to me that like, that, um, really like drove that vibe home. And I can't even remember if it was in 92, might not have been. But it was like Pantera, Soundgarden, and Skid Row all touring together. Yeah. And like at the end of the night, all three singers would get up and they'd jam songs. Yeah. I mean, that to me was our our feeling about that time like coming to life. Yeah. And it made us, it made me feel like, see, see, I, I knew it. I'm onto something and I'm right. You know, and, and so all these dudes that are so hard and into Pantera probably couldn't really take the fact that, you know, uh, Sebastian Bach was up there singing with them. Right. Or whatever. So I, I just really felt that that represented that time perfectly. So I definitely wanted to mention that. Yeah. And I mean, even though this is a slight tangent, I mean, that's like proof right there, like how much of a non-hairband Skid Row really was. Oh, that they, yeah, totally. That they could have Pantera on tour with them mm-hmm. and just fit right in, you know? Oh, yeah. And look, there's no, there's no, um, I'll add to your tangent. Let's make no mistake, they definitely had those vibes on the first record. Oh, yeah. But, you know, but still, even though the vibes were there, it was still heavier. Yeah. Oh, yeah. And, and Slave yeah. to the Grind, but that Slave to the Grind was just, there was nothing, you know, air quotations, hair metal about that. And I don't care what you say. That was just a straight up hard rock, heavy metal record. And I'm not even like a huge fucking Skid Row fan, but I'm a huge fan of that record. So I know what you mean. Yeah. But that was what, 91. So yeah, well, we should probably not talk about it. <laughs> but this is what we do. This, this why we'll be able to bring Skid Row to the yeah, top. Yeah, this, this happens. In 92, they put out Besides Ourselves, which I listened to a fuckload, but. Dude, we weren't going to really include it yeah, here. I got that a, on tape down there. Right. On. I told you I'm in, we're in the tape room. Yeah. Uh, I'm telling you. <laughs> <laughs> but I mean 92 as a one more thing about that. I was thinking when I was driving over here just not just rock like as a whole in music. It was just like a a time because Yeah, definitely. All the when you think of like gangster rap and all the stuff that was becoming huge, that was like the that was like I don't know, it was the peak of it, mm-hmm. but it was kind of like grunge that was exploding at that point. Yeah. And then you, then you got on country, you had like fucking Garth Brooks, who was like right. basically flipped country on its head and became this massive sensation. Oh, like totally. he was basically, he basically invented pop country, even though he did it better than what people are doing now with pop yeah. country. But like, you know, so just like, I just think it was a really cool time to be able yeah. to. Well, it. I guess be our age because oh, we were, totally. we were and, what like ninth grade at the time. So. Yeah, and you know what? I mean, you're you're never ever gonna have a vibe or a time like that in music ever again. Yeah, ever again. So yeah, let alone from one genre, but yeah. from like every genre. Yeah. So I get what you're saying. I get what you're saying. <laughs> yeah. Well, so for this deal, we uh, we're gonna talk about our favorite albums of the of '92, since we always talk about how much we love '92. Right. Um, but instead of making like a top 10 or top 20, 
we decided to split it into hard rock and metal mm-hmm. since there's, you know, because basically I didn't want to have to pick between Pantera and Warrant as number one, you know? Yeah, no, I get that. <laughs> I fucking get it. It's yeah. like, when it comes to like the top two or three on both these lists, I mean, they're all really interchangeable in my mm-hmm. opinion, which I'm sure it goes for you as well, just how much you truly love the album. Right. But, so we made a top ten heavy metal albums in 92 and a top ten hard rock albums in 92 right and from my experience which i believe you just told me before we hit start was the same the hard rock album list was harder to make than the heavy metal album list because mm-hmm. um there's just way more yeah you know way more stuff i was into i guess or maybe there's just way more because even when i look at the list i was just writing down albums that came out the list of hard rocks way longer anyway there was a ton more metal than i wrote down but it was a lot of like black metal and uh, death metal and stuff I didn't really get into back yeah, then and yeah. even these days I'm still kind of just moderately into it Yeah, but that is something to speak on one more tangent when I was going through looking for making sure I had all albums covered on this list a reoccurring theme in all these lists I was finding of top albums in 92 Dark Throne was always near the top of every right. metal list Yeah, so we should both go listen to Dark Throne's I guess we should, yeah. Hard like, to what it's called, but their album that came out in '92, yeah, like we it's need apparently to see what a black metal masterpiece. So okay, okay. Well, and you know that's the thing. I'm, yeah. you know, uh, I admit totally. I'm, I'm, yeah, I've dabbled a little bit with black metal. We, yeah, we've both been that way. Yeah, but for, death metal has really not been something that I could like totally jump into. Yeah. So that that goes for both our metal lists. If you're right. a death metal fan, listen to this, you're probably about to be pissed off because not a single <laughs> one of those albums is on my list and I yep. don't think it's on yours. No. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> you want to you start with metal then? Sure. Okay. Um, so just kind of, you know, skimming through real quick. Actually, well, I can't really do this because I don't know exactly what's on your list, but I know like one both of our favorite bands is Typo Negative. Right. One of our favorite bands and that didn't make my list because it was like, before I got heavily into them, and it's also before their sound kind of shifted to yes, where they exactly what, into what they became. Well, we really, yeah. But I mean, I know you're fucking someone else, and hey, Pete, you know these are all great, right? It's great stuff. But but you have stuff like that, and Black Sabbath, and Maiden, and Exodus, and Caius, and all this stuff that I love. But you know, you can only have ten albums, so exactly. And Fear Factor is another one. I wasn't into them at that point. Yeah. But going back after I became into him, I mean, that album was really kind of, in my opinion, a game changer that doesn't get touted as a game changer. Because mm-hmm. there's obviously industrial stuff at the time with Ministry of Nine Inch Nails, but there wasn't a band doing it the way Fear Factor was doing yeah. it. So I almost put that on my list, but I started at number 10 with Dream Theater, Images, and Words. Barely knocking out body count. <laughs> but... But images and words to me, I just thought needed to be on there because it's just, and I'm about to piss off. If you're a Dream Theater fan and you're listening to this, I'm sure this statement's going to piss people off. But for Dream Theater, <laughs> this is where they began and where they ended. Uh-oh. Oh, For me. Shit. For me. I'll still go see Dream Theater in a heartbeat. I still listen to a new album when it comes out, but when a new album comes out, I listen to it, and then I don't go back to it. <laughs> because this is, it's not, I'm not saying they never match this, but. Just to my taste, I guess they never did. Right. But I just remember when I heard Pull Me Under on the radio the first time, like I was like blown the fuck away because yeah. there was like nothing out there in my 14, 15 year old world 
that was like this, and just like an intro that's like 80, 18 minutes long yeah. before you even get to the vocals. Vocals, yeah. And then just like the vocals kick in, and it's like that almost that like Joey Belladonna thrash metal vocal yeah. that you know we love, but it's on top of like this totally new kind of music to me, mm-hmm. this progressive metal. Because I mean, I was in the Queensrÿche, but not. But this is like a different type of progressive than Queensrÿche is, you know. Exactly. And but that album just as a whole is just a masterpiece and. Yeah. So we didn't discuss this again. Do I just keep rolling down, or do you want yep. to say your number two? No, nope. keep okay. keep going, and I'll keep going. Then I'll do mine, and then we'll do the hard rock. And then, okay. Yeah. So even if I name off albums that you have, you can fine. pipe in. Okay, no, it's fine. Okay, my number nine was Helmet. Okay. Meantime. Yeah. This is. I don't know. I didn't think of what I was going to say about this album, but it's. This is one of those bands that you know. Never really got their due. No, still to this day. Yeah, you know we've talked about them a lot throughout the years. We've had Paige Hamilton on right the podcast twice, and you know their sound might be a little different now than it was thirty years ago. But this was kind of like a breath of fresh air as well. Just like yeah, it was Dream Theater. What I just talked about, like there's kind of getting on a tangent, but I just looked at this list and it's like I've got you've got thrash metal, you've got groove metal. Exactly. You've got progressive metal, you've got crossover metal, you've got thrash metal, you've got industrial metal, and then you've got helmet, whatever you want to call them. Yeah, I know. Because they weren't really starter metal, they weren't really hardcore metal, but they were somewhere between the two. Yeah. And they're kind of almost like a really mainstream, accessible hardcore band to me. Yeah, I get that too. You know, he didn't have the hardcore vocals, but the music, you know, kind of had that. And yeah, just... They obviously became a bigger thing on the next album after this, but, you know, in the meantime, Unsung and all the stuff was the things that put Helmet on the map, and right. I was there for it. And my number eight was Ministry, Psalm 69, another one that I'm pretty sure is high up on your list. <laughs> <laughs> How did you know? <laughs> but Industrial Metal, and this is... when. It's another thing when I'm going through this list, these albums are kind of a lot of these albums are the albums that got me into these bands because of you know, we were at that age, you know, 14, exactly, 15, yeah. where you know, you're kind of like something new comes out, you're like, oh, fuck, what's this? Yeah, you know, in ministry, obviously, industrial and ministry have been around, but this album was like their big breakthrough with like NWO and Jesus Built My Hot Rod mm-hmm. and um. When I forget another big hit. Regardless, I mean, this whole album right. is just like an industrial fucking metal masterpiece. And it's kind of like Nine Inch, you know, for those people that love Nine Inch Nails and what they were doing was great. But that's like true industrial rock. You know, this is like taken to the metal level. You know, mm-hmm. that like Al Jurgensen and his weird sense of humor and just, it was all about politics and humor and bullshit and. You know, just a great fucking album. Yeah. My number seven was Testament, The Ritual, which I'm betting is on your list, though, for real, unlike Ministry. How did you know it is for real? <laughs> Testament, The Ritual. Another thing about 92 was that you started to see the effect that the Black Album was having on metal bands. Yes, yep. <clears throat> and this wasn't that much, you know, I say that. Bands took a lot longer to record albums back then. Mm-hmm. 
Black Album had come out in August of 91, yep. but it was such this juggernaut from a thrash metal band yeah. that when you saw Countdown to Extinction come out, it had two or three songs that were yeah. may, way more mainstream than previous Megadeth. Yeah. Same thing with, like, Sound of White Noise the next year. Yeah. And same thing. You with, had even, like, Flotsam and Jetsam with, like, Wading Through the Darkness. Yeah. I mean, that was totally, let's try to get on the radio. Exodus, A Good Day to Die. Yeah. Oh, yeah. That whole force of habit thing. Yeah. Yep. And then Testament, the ritual is right there with you. Yep. I agree. But the thing about Testament is that, you know, similar to Megadeth, the majority of it still sounded like a thrash Testament album. You know, you got Electric Crown, just like this whole album's fucking great. But then when you look at something like Return to Serenity, would that have been on there if the Black Album didn't exist? Maybe. But I don't know if it would have not got heavy, you know, really heavy in the middle right. <laughs> if it hadn't been for the Black Album, you know. But, but regardless, I mean, this is just like, Testament's one of those bands that, I could be forgetting something, but they really didn't put out subpar music ever. Mm-hmm. And the albums were always consistent. Still to this day, they're still putting oh, yeah. out solid, fucking amazing work. And this album was fucking, fucking perfect for that time. My number six was White Zombie, Lost Sex or Lost Sex or Cisto, Devil Music Volume One. Same thing with a couple of these other albums. This was the album that I got into White Zombie on, which I think that ninety nine percent of people is the same case. If you weren't from New York or into super underground music, but kind of like with Ministry or Helmet or Dream Theater, whenever I heard this, it was something that I hadn't. I couldn't think of something I had heard before that was similar to this. Right. And I actually saw them open for Pantera before I really even knew most of this. You know, and they were, you know, like you've got probably their two biggest hits besides More Human Than Human, Thunder Kiss 65, Black Sunshine. Right. And you've got Welcome to Planet, Motherfucker, Spider Baby, and just such a great, you know, like it's the pinnacle of, I mean, we call Pantera groove metal, but... To me, this is kind of the pinnacle of groove metal because that's all this album is. It's just dirty fucking grooves. Right. And to me, it's what I long for from Rob Zombie forever. You know, if John Five isn't a member of his band anymore, it should be Jay Younger because this was his best fucking sound ever. Yeah. You know, and it was, and a huge part of that was that guitar tone. So, but yeah, and it's just like, you know, it was one of those albums that. I'm sure there's stuff I'm not thinking of, but back then I don't remember albums having interludes and weird shit going on. Right. You know, that I was listening to at least. Number five, Suicidal Tendencies, The Art of Rebellion. This. That's another one that was, you know, affected by the Black Album. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah, I should have thought of that. Because that's, uh, and it's. The Black Album effect. We just coined it. Yeah, <laughs> the Black Album effect. <laughs> and Suicidal Tendencies. I don't even know what number this was. This is probably like their fifth or sixth album. Right. But it was really the album that got me into them. Same mm-hmm. thing, being young. I don't know. At that point, I probably knew institutionalized. Yeah. You know, from like Headbangers Ball or something. Yeah. But I don't really know what I knew of them previous. But The Art of the Rebellion has songs on there like Can't Kill Captain Stupid that are so very good. reminiscent of the older stuff. But yeah. then you've got the stuff like Nobody Hears. Yep. I'll Hate You Better yeah. that are definitely the blackout effect. But yeah. nobody hears to me still, even though they probably never play it live, 
and a lot of diehard Suicidal Tendencies fans probably don't care to me. That's still one of my favorite songs of theirs. Yeah, exactly. And a side note is, a few weeks ago, I know, uh, did you see that whenever Trevor from Haunt asked that question in the Haunt group about Suicidal Tendencies? Maybe not. No, I'm, I'm, I must have missed that. Well, he just put a thing in there saying that, I can't remember how he worded it, just basically he's like, I never really understood him or got into him. He's like, I tried different times throughout my life, but I just couldn't ever find anything. Just like if you're a fan, tell me a song to, you know, to check out. And so I was skimming through it. I'm like, I'm going to put Nobody Hears. And, you know, all these people are putting these deep cuts and then some dude put Nobody Hears. And then Trevor, like, commented, okay, I just listened to this and this is my favorite song of theirs. Yeah. <laughs> so, I mean, that kind of... Right. I mean, I don't know where I'm going with that, but that's just kind of, that's like from an outsider of their music. Yeah, exactly. You know, maybe... That, that, maybe that tells you something. And, I mean, that's kind of from Trevor, who's not like a dude that just sits around and listens to mainstream music either. Right, so, exactly. Uh, yeah. But, let's see. I lost my list. Number four, Countdown to Extinction by Megadeth. I guess you could you could see the black gum effect in... The big hits from this oh, one. Yeah. Oh, Sweating yeah. Bullets. Yeah. Um, Symphony of Destruction. You can see the Black Album effect in a lot of that record. Yeah. yeah. Foreclosure of a Dream. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, actually, you said, I mean, for the most part, because the songs, the songs that would have fit on an earlier album are pretty, pretty rare on here. Right. Skin of My Teeth could have yeah. went on to Rest in Peace, I think. Which, Skin of My Teeth is my favorite song in this album, but you also got. This is just one of those albums that you, I could throw on at any point, listen straight through. Oh, yeah. And never want to skip a song. Yeah, exactly. You know, it's and it's not even... It's... I actually don't know what my favorite Megadeth album is. Everybody says Rest in Peace, but right. to me it's kind of a tie between these two. Yeah. But what were you going to say, sorry? Well, I'm going to save it for, for mine. Okay. Um... But yeah, Countdown to Extinction, this was kind of like the the pinnacle, I think, for them, too. Oh, yeah. I mean, it was the, even though they rode that wave there for a while, with right. euthanasia, and maybe even cryptic writing is just in the live setting, yeah. you know, but like, you know, they were like, right in the middle of that, you know, their most famous lineup, Yeah. and, you know, it was just perfect music all around. I mean, Megadeth, you know, is one of those bands that still... I mean, now they came out this year, is going to be high on my list for this oh, year. Yeah. So, yeah, I mean, that's a great record. Dave's still doing the thing, but I mean, this is just, I don't know what adjective to use, but you know what I mean. Oh, yeah. <laughs> so now we're getting to the top three. Two and three to me are interchangeable as far as what spot I put them in, and I couldn't really decide, so I just went with which band I like more. <laughs> Yeah, and number two. So number three was Alice in Chains' "Dirt," which right. technically you could take any year of hard rock or metal, and you'd be hard pressed to find the best album that year. Year being this good, and yeah. this is the third album on my list. Right, right. I know totally. this is just an opinion, but this is one of those albums that's just pure. All the stars align in the moment that these four guys went into a studio. I don't know how to explain it because it's just, it's just dark drug fueled insanity. <laughs> yes. But at the same time, yes, you is. can listen to this and I could be like, 
I can't relate in the least to what fucking Lane Staley was no, probably going uh-huh. through. But you can listen to this album and fucking feel it in your fucking soul. Oh, yeah, yeah. No matter how cheesy sure. that statement sounds, you fucking feel this album inside of you every time you listen to it. Yes. It doesn't matter if you've heard Rooster or Wood 4,000 times. Those two songs are just as effective still to this day as, like, Rain When I Die. Absolutely. Or Damn That River or Down a Hole yeah. or Angry Chair. You know, just this album, unbelievable. You know, and it's just like, it's on a metal list, but, you know, this was it was one of the biggest albums in the history of grunge music. Right. I mean, I can still see that on the metal list. Yeah, so it can know, go either yeah. way. You know, and that's the beauty of it. You could probably throw this on a hard rock list if people no, are yeah. going to bitch. Yeah. You obviously throw it on a grunge list. It's going to be number one or two. Probably number two in my right, world, right. but number one in yours, I don't know. But, like, regardless, people... Listen to this, don't need us to tell them how great dirt is. I'm sure they all know. Absolutely. <laughs> My number two was Angel Dust by Faith No More. And this album was fucking crazy because, like, this band has put out an album. This was, what, at their time? Was it only their second album with Patton, but their fourth album at the time? Yeah. And it sounded absolutely fucking nothing like their previous albums. I know. I know. But yeah, it's well, what we know now. Even even back then, you didn't really question it. You're just like, "Holy fuck, this is great!" So you yeah. don't think, "Oh, this doesn't sound like anything off the real thing." You well, know? It's, it's it's the beauty of that band. Yeah, and I mean, they continuously obviously oh, right. did it from there then forth. But whenever, like like I said, when I was skimming through this stuff yesterday or the day before, look, making sure I had albums, I just kind of looked at a couple things people had wrote about this, and yeah. some guy wrote. Even 30 years later, it's hard to even describe this album to someone. Oh, absolutely. Which yeah. is a great point. Yeah. And even 30 years later, you can you think of another album like, you know, even like this? I no. mean, there's like from any band. No. You know? No. It's like it's metal, but at the same time, you know, I guess they got thrown in that alternative metal category. Right. And they're just like, it's just. Everything is going on at once and somehow working magically. And it, when you think of, like, this was the final album that had Jim Martin on it. Mm-hmm. And I've said this before in the podcast, I know, but as much as I love Jim Martin, this album was proof that the guitar was the least important instrument in Faith No More. I see. And it's still that way to this day. You know, when you hear the keyboards, the bass, the drums, and obviously the vocals to me make up this band more than the guitar does uh, I get that but and there's you know just fucking Jizz Lobber is like a metal masterpiece right and then on the flip side you've got <clears throat> a small victory which is like a melodic rock masterpiece oh man be <laughs> aggressive yeah <laughs> yeah kindergarten my number one was Pantera Vulgar display of power. Absolutely. There was no. I said that a lot this podcast. This podcast. <laughs> there was no, uh, no debating that for me. You know that that would be my number one. Yeah. Anybody that has listened to this podcast with us knows how much we love like, that man. Do we even need to say anything? Yeah, <laughs> that's a good point. You know, I mean, it's just it, it's it's such a. Like, like it, it's it's almost unbelievable that that can come out of four dudes. Right. I mean, it really is. Yeah. 
it's just one of those, it's like there is something not human working, some kind of other worldly force working on this thing somehow. Yeah. And it's just like, I don't know, I'm a dork. Sometimes I think about like, what if this track list was in a different order? You know, because like, you know that I assume there's probably albums out there that bands have like just fucking thrown it in order and didn't give a shit. Right. But I obviously think there's obviously other bands out that are analyzing, okay, this should go here, this should go here. But when I hear this album, I'm like, I can't imagine any of these songs in any other order. You well, know? yeah, I think that's because we're just so used to it. Yeah, but it's like, just when you think of like, as soon as a new level ends and then it kicks into walk, and then well, as soon as walk ends, like, uh, fucking hostile starts. And I think that's the thing, too, is like... It's just like so fucking amazing. There's not as long of a pause between songs as, as there is on a lot of records. That's a good point. And I think that that's... I think on any record. I think that's the only record I've heard that's like that all the way through. Yeah, so really you know, It's just, just relentless, like... non-stop, clubbing you over the head. Yeah. Yeah, like the end of This Love, where it's like that kind of like guitar outro thing and right. then all of a sudden rise just yeah, starts. Yeah. I mean it's <laughs> yeah. like it's just genius really. Yeah. I remember Eric Reese always hated that. If our it wasn't buddy a Eric. Break. Yeah, our buddy Eric he's like, Man, I hate that there's not more they just go right into it. He's like, I, I just I, I hate that. <laughs> and, you know, I mean I kinda get it, but I think it's such a dramatic and such a great way to um it just makes that album more memorable. Yeah. Good point. All right, that was my top ten. So now it's time for yours. All right, so what do you got? Okay, well, my number ten is of metal. Uh, this may be kind of a uh, off the beaten path, but Rage Against the Machine's debut record. I'm sure there's, you know, there's definitely a, you know, you call that rap metal the beginnings of it. However, I don't know one of the beginnings of it. I'm sure a lot of people would put that on their list. Right, right. Um, I just think that it was such a scathing just middle finger to kind of everything that was going on. Um, And uh, so there you go. Uh, And I think it was such a... um, It was just an uppercut to everybody. Like, I don't know that anyone expected that. Yeah. Um, And, you know... You can say what you want about, you know, they're larger than life. And, you know, they probably got, their sound probably got a little slicker over the years uh, that they were active. But, I mean, what just a, what a scream of a record, you know? And I just, I love the story. You know, Tom Morello, Tom Morello's a shredder. He came from all that, you know? Uh, but, you know, he, he and he tried to do all that. You know, the, none of those, none of those guys wanted a, a, you know, a black dude with a fro that could outplay all of them in right. that band, you know? So he said, okay, well, I'm going to go over to this other part of L.A., hang out with Jane's Addiction and the Chili Peppers. I'm going to do my own thing and just completely turn it on its ear and just... It's like just totally invented something else. Yeah. Um, and I think that's way cool. 
So, and this whole record is just, uh, it's just a barn burner. So, that's my number 10. To me, that's more than any album on the list, I think, is the one that's like hardest to believe it's 30 years old. Exactly. Because to me, no, I feel yeah. like, oh, the beginning of Rigs of Soon is probably like 94, even though mm-hmm. it's obviously not. Well, it's that 92. Stuff was, you know, that was it, becoming it, huge in it, 92, 93, you know? Yeah. It's like a pioneering thing, yeah. yeah. Um, number nine is Forever Free by Saxon. I mean, you know, I think this was probably a lean time for them. I think kind of the late 80s and the 90s were kind of lean for them. But they persevered. And, I mean, they're one of my favorite bands ever. Yeah. So, uh, you know, I have that I have that record on vinyl. Uh, so, I mean... Do you remember a couple songs off the top of your head? Because I'm trying to remember what was on that album. I mean, and that's the thing. It's, it's red vinyl. And I mean, that's just one of those. Uh, you're putting me on the spot. Okay, I don't that's just one of those ones where I just throw it on. Yeah, you know. And, and uh, so that's that's that one. Uh, and then number eight. Number eight is "March or Die" from Motorhead. Oh yeah. Because I mean, if Motorhead puts out a record in any year, it's going to be on the list. Right. You know, so that's, you know, kind of what I think. Instead of I Ain't No Nice Guy. I know, which... uh, Which is just like one of the best metal ballads ever. And it's got, and it's got the original, I don't know, well, I don't know if it's original, but it's got Lemmy's Hellraiser, because he wrote it. So... Yeah. But, um, and, you know, I love Ain't No Nice Guy. You know, if you ever have a chance, the acoustic version of that is awesome on YouTube. So, that that's, there you go on that one. And, uh, my phone just took a dump and I lost my list. <laughs> Stand by. All right. Hellraiser. That was uh oh, yeah. You can uh Did he write it or did they co write it? Well, co writing with Ozzy means you wrote it yourself. Yeah, I think you wrote it. You, you can <laughs> I'll say it. You can like edit some of that dead space. Yeah, it was only five seconds. Right. Um Seven is Iron Maiden, Fear of the Dark. I mean again, it's Iron Maiden. Right. Um, you know, and you know, we all know Fear of the Dark. Um I love Weekend Warrior. I thought that was kind of a... I, I don't know. It's To me, it's like one of the most least Iron Maiden songs. It's one of the least Iron Maiden Iron Maiden songs. Yeah. But I don't know. I think because I just love late 80s, early 90s hard rock, I still just enjoy the hell out of that song. <laughs> um, so for me, you know, I, I think that 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 is... Uh, well, I get it, because the before, what was the album, or was it a, it's the damn album that came before that, but it had like Holy Smoke and stuff, that um, it was like, it was really like that. Yeah, um, No Purpose no for, for Dying, yeah. Yeah, 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 like Holy Smoke, and then, was that Can I Play With Madness, or, you know, it was still like really. Right. But, you know, you had hard, be, 80s hard rock leaning. Yeah. Yep. Uh, you had Be Quick or Be Dead. Yeah. Uh, you had, um. 
Afraid to Shoot Strangers. I think oh, those right. are great songs. But I, I don't know why. I'm just a I'm just a weirdo. Weekend Warrior just I don't know. I love <laughs> that song. So there you go. And the title track is such a, a great live song to this day. Yeah, yeah oh yeah, 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 yeah. But my number six is Art of Rebellion, my suicidal tendencies. Right. Um and I'm kind of the same, you know, it's not it, it's it's probably not the most acceptable answer to a lot of the diehards. But you know, I'm I'm a I'm a hard rock kid from you know the late '80s, early '90s, um, and, and that appealed to me. Was nobody hears and I'll hate you better, and um, I just I just dug that vibe. Yeah. Um, you can call me slick or whatever you want, but um, that album really resonated. Yeah. And and, and but also you know. Um, <clears throat> The good thing about that is, is it got me into all the rest of their stuff. Yeah. So, I mean, is it really that bad of a thing? No, I don't think so. No. So. It was the gateway. Yep. Number the gateway f- into their own shit. Yep. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Number five is, for me, is, again, The Ritual by Testament. Right. Um, again, I think uh, a lot of dudes at school were, at that time, were kind of down on that record. Um, but I really liked that. I Electric Crown. I mean... Return to Serenity, of course, that's a great song, and I think you're right. I don't think without the whole, the Black Album effect, um, I, I don't think we would have seen that song. But at the same time, I think that the song is just a cut above because of what Alex Skolnick does. Oh, yeah. I mean, just his guitar work on that and the effects and stuff is just amazing. But Electric Crown is just, just a, just a rager of a song, man. I've always, that's, Probably my favorite Testament song. I could listen to that song over and over and over. Yeah. You know, so, yeah, The Ritual, a Testament. Oh, yeah. Um, number four for me is Angel Dust by Faith No More. Um, I think small, I think with a small victory and be aggressive, um, I think those are just two, just two of the, the, the funnest, brightest, melodic just all over the place songs. Um, it's such a great record, but those two songs for me just put it over the top. It's just one of the best records, and um, and, and it's such great, such a great feeling listening listening to that record. Yeah. Um, it just uh, it just puts me right back there, and I hate to be nostalgic, but it, it does put me back. And all those memories, but at the same time, you know, it, it's it, it's a lot like listening to album of the year. It's just everything is just perfect on that record. Yeah, I mean, just perfect. I mean, there, there's not a bad note, not a bad anything on, on that stuff. So there you go. Yeah. Number three for me is Alice in Chains, Dirt. Um. And, and I get what you were saying earlier about how, you know, the dark feelings and stuff. But at the same time, that me- some of that music was just so bright and, like, colorful. Um, and that really got to me. Um, I just, um, and it, but also mixed with Lane Staley's haunting vocals. I mean, it's just, uh, it's something that can't be recreated. And I don't think... I don't think uh, Alice in Chains could recreate it. They definitely can't recreate it because Lane Staley's not with us anymore. 
But I don't think they could, even if he was. That was just one of those, you know, moment in time records. Yeah. So. And side note real quick, when you say Bright and something else I just thought of is that this is one of those albums that when I hear any song off it, in my head, I, I'm seeing that album cover the whole time. Yeah. Whatever that means. I yeah, dude. Not my love that, albums, that, that is such happens. a great point. Like, I don't do that with all albums. It's just, that's just one of those albums. That's yeah. such a great point. Like, I just see, like, red the whole time yeah. that I listen to this record. You know? Not orange. Because <laughs> it, nah, it's orange. Right? Kind of reddish and orangish, okay. but I yeah. just see red a lot, you know? <laughs> um, number two for me is Megadeth, Countdown to Extinction. I thought you were going to say it was orange because you saw red. Oh, Jesus Christ. Well, anyways, that's, that's another anyways. Okay. So, like, um, Countdown to Extinction is definitely Megadeth's black album. Um, and, and it definitely was not, it's not the first, you know, I got into Megadeth around Rust in Peace. Yeah. But, I mean, and I think, I, I think this goes to show you, Dave Mustaine is definitely the better musician. Um, because yes, this is like their black album, definitely more accessible, but there's still so much going on in this record, you know? Yeah. I, I mean, I don't think, you know, I don't think Metallica could have wrote the title track. Yeah. Which I think is just epic. Yeah. Um, and, and it's just so, you know, it paints such a picture. And, um, I, I really like a lot of the stuff that is going on in, Dave Mustaine's lyrical content on this record. Um, I, I think sonically, it's just, it sounds perfect. Um, and it's just, uh, it, it's, you, you just can't lose. Skin of My Teeth, Symphony of Destruction, Architecture of Regression, uh, you know, the title track, High Speed Dirt. I mean, yeah. come on, dude. I mean, it's all dead. This was my life. This is my life, yeah. <laughs> it it is deadly. Yep. And then that brings us to my number one, which of course is Vulgar Display of Power by Pantera. Right. And I mean, it's just uh, you know, it's I, I don't know. I could, we talked about it when you had yours. It's really <laughs> just uh, I I don't know. I mean, it's just a moment in time. Uh, and I think there was a record like that. It's there's there's more to there's a force going on. There's more to it than just human. I think there's something. It, it was just magic. Yeah, heavy metal magic. <laughs> <laughs> or, but it really was though. No, just metal magic. Metal. Oh God, yeah, you, yeah. There Pun you intended. No. Right, totally <laughs> intended. But um, I, I just think that it's, it was, you know, we, we knew about Pantera, you know, and I knew Cowboys from Hell and I knew Cemetery Gates and all that kind of stuff. But I remember, um, um, at that time, you know, we, you know, I lived so far out in the country that we didn't get cable. So my dad had uh, one of those big satellite dishes. Oh, yeah. So I didn't get MTV, but I got much music. And they used to have a thing, I think, called like the Power Hour. It was the Canadian MTV, yeah. much music was. 
it, wasn't it like the power hour or the half hour? I can't remember. That sounds right. But. And um, they and that was the first time I'd heard Mouth for War, the video for it. And I just could not believe what I was watching and hearing. Yeah. Um, I was just, I'm like, and it was, it was weird too because they had like Kick Tracy and like, you know, and then they're like, oh, here's Pantera with Mouth for War. And I'm like, whoa, <laughs> what is this? This is insane. This is the, ca- I mean, what? What? <laughs> I mean, it was just, uh, talk about being floored. Yeah. Uh, you know, so. Uh, such a such a perfect record um so absolutely my number one definitely my number one yeah I remember I know we talked about this when I did Pantera every album in a row but uh, mm-hmm. I remember the first time I heard Mouth for War was at Lonnie Walter's house like he's like you gotta hear this and he just yeah. like put the album on it's the first song right? right so like and I was kind of the same way I'm like Without seeing a video, just listening to it, I was like, what the fuck? Because it was yeah. like, at that point, I'd like metal, you know, and it was just basically Metallica and Megadeth and Anthrax kind of a mm-hmm. little bit. Um, and then obviously stuff like Ozzy. But this, you know, this was kind of the moment where I went full on, I think, into metal, even though I was still loving hard rock, but right. it just took it to another level for yeah. me. But just hearing that, like, how do you even describe it? Just like that rolling guitar riff and yep. beat just like just yeah. like rolling over itself I don't know it's just like it's just so fucking unbelievable yeah, still yeah. to this day when I hear it I still just think of that first time I heard it every time and and it's like you, you, you gotta think what you know th- this was these were some dudes I mean say for say for Phil they were Phil I mean uh, excuse me uh, Dimebag and Vinny they they were just influenced by the same old hard rock that everybody else was. Yeah, you know Van Halen and uh, yeah, they were in the Van Halen Kiss uh, and Kiss. It's like Ted Nugent, ACDC. Ted Nugent. Where did where did you guys come up with this? This is this is amazing. Yeah. You know, it's not like well, we also liked you know uh, whatever. I, I just it's just deal is just crazy. Yeah, yeah. Well, do we flip it to hard rock now? Yes. All right. So, like I mentioned earlier, hard rock was a little bit tougher for me. Right. I mean, there were albums, like, that I listened to back then that I still dig to this day, like, you know, King's X self-titled album. Right. Lillian Axe, Poetic Justice, um, Bad Company, Here Comes Trouble, Lynch Mob's second album, um, which was self-titled, right? Um, uh-huh. And then shit like Social Distortion and... Anyway, but then, and then there's several albums that, like, I was, like, I wished I could put on my list, like, Screaming Trees, Sweet Oblivion. Right. You know, Firehouse, Hold Your Fire. I listened to that thing fucking on a daily basis back then. Yeah. Blind Melon's debut album, Damn Yankees Don't Tread, Great White Psycho City, to me, is probably my favorite Great White album. But my number 10 is Saigon Kick, The Lizard. Look at that. And... This is Saigon Kick. You know, it's one of those bands that most people, the majority of people, I think, only know one song. Maybe two, if they remember, uh, what was that other fucking, All I Want, you know, was like the other kind of right. mid, mid-tempo yeah. ballad. Yeah. But this is this is, this band is the prime example of 
Extreme, you know, is another band in the same vein, but like a ballad, a mega ballad happening during the melodic rock hair metal era. Mm-hmm. So this band just all of a sudden is now a hair metal band, even though their music is nothing yeah. like that. It's the same way with Extreme for the most mm-hmm. part, which is just, what, Van Halen, you know, for a new age. Yeah, pretty much. Yeah, it was. Wow, that's a good way of, I don't need to go on a tangent. Yeah, right? That's a good way of putting that. I never thought about that. But I don't even know Anyways. what you would call Saigon <laughs> Kick besides just, I mean, there are points where they're almost metal, you know? They're just a hard yeah. rock metal band with yeah. like, I mean, the songs like Hostile Youth and Peppermint Tribe, you know, and they're just heavy as shit. And then there's stuff like Feel the Same Way and, let me have this pulled up, God of 42nd Street and the title track, The Lizard. Body bags, you know this. Mm-hmm. This album is just fucking a perfect heavy music album straight through. And then yeah. you've got "Love Is on the Way," which is a great ballad, but it's the song everybody knows, and you just assume, oh, this is a fucking, you know, another Kick Tracy or something, you yeah. know. But it's absolutely not. But anyway, <laughs> there's my tangent about why people should check out Saigon Kick, and plus Matt Kramer's voice is just very recognizable. Mm-hmm. You know, it's one of those guys you could hear and know instantly and you know it's a shame that they really just did two albums you know everything after that was is what's the you know was um jason beeler yep on vocals trying to sound like matt kramer right and failing even though (laughs) i love jason beeler's stuff he's put out recently but still if you're into if you're into fun dramatic shit go pull up matt kramer's facebook once a year or two, he just goes off on tangents, and he's in the middle of one right now. For the past couple weeks, every other day is a post about how fucking shitty everybody else in Saigon Kick was. So check. Interesting. <laughs> Interesting. Number nine, Bon Jovi, Keep the Faith. Now, I know this is not on your list, but this album to me is Bon Jovi's last perfect album. And it was actually that. It's kind of the transition album from... Yeah what they were to what they are now, I guess. Yeah. yeah. But before, you know, they were like a hard rock band that was also very melodic and yeah. oh, very yeah. of the times. And even though New Jersey was still that way, it was still leaning this way where it was more of your traditional hard rock. Yeah. And Keep the Faith really went full in on just like, you know, hey, we're from Jersey like Bruce Springsteen. Let's just be a fucking rock band. Right. And they, you know, they still had the hit ballads on there like, you know, Butter Roses and In These Arms, but you had songs on there like Dry Country, which is the most, absolutely the greatest song they ever fucking recorded. You know, it's like a nine minute long fucking masterpiece. Wait, what? Dry Country. Or no, De- Dry County, sorry. I don't know why I said country. Hmm. You know. Then you've it's got a s- nine minute song? Yeah. It's got like this amazing fucking guitar solo, this piano solo, just everything. I will say this. Like, I might not have really... I mean, New Jersey was a great record. It was an amazing record. Yeah. And I might not have liked where they went, but in 92, they had the forethought of, like, oh, shit. Yeah. Something's going on. We might want to... So they kind of... They kind of... They started... They started that that transition. Before a lot of them did, and that probably saved them, really. Yeah, because, I mean, the album after this, these days, I liked, and it's like their last, like fully cohesive album I think mm-hmm. but even that album was really ballad heavy and even though it wasn't like cheesy ballad it was just more I don't know like this right. one had songs like 
It had some corny stuff on there, like blaming on the love of rock and roll, you know, where he got his vaccination with a phonograph needle. But, you know, outside of that, you know, some corny shit like that, it's just a great fucking album straight through. It's got their, probably their heaviest song, too, with If I Was Your right. Mother, you know, which I would have loved it if they had wrote that these days, because then they would, everybody would be up in arms. But Right, 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 right. Anyway, number eight, Extreme, Three Sides to Every Story. So yeah, what a, I mean, what a fucking unheralded masterpiece this is. I mean, I guess it, I guess it's heralded, at least back then, but it just, I mean, this album, let me see here, I got this pulled up. For back then, I mean, this album's over an hour long, you know. Right, well, which because there was three times. Yeah, yeah, I mean, it's, it's got its sectioned off things, but it's like, the big hit being Rest in Peace, which is still fucking great, but just this whole thing, you know, Warheads. Oh, dude. Cupid's dead. Peacemaker died. Yeah. Tragic comic. Stop the world. God isn't dead. I mean, Am I ever going to change? It's like... It's deadly, man. Yeah. Um, and it just shows that the level of... I mean, it's kind of the same way we talked about with uh, Pantera or House and Change, just in exactly. a different... In a different realm. It's just like, could this have been created by any other poor guys at that moment in time, you know? And I think it's one of the, it's it's like one of those big leaps, like, from Appetite to Use Your Illusion, or, like, Kill Them All to Ride the Lightning. Oh, yeah. Uh, Maybe not on that huge level, but, I don't know. That's on my list. I don't want to go too far into it. But that's a good point, because it's a jump. Yeah. They already did that jump from their debut album to Point of Graffiti. Yeah, oh, totally. And then they did that jump and again. And don't get me wrong, their debut album's fucking great. Yeah. But yes, yes. But yeah, I mean, that's a good point of just how much mm-hmm. this band expanded every time they put out an album. Yep. And I mean, this... And this was, as you know, even though it was during that time when times were changing, it's the perfect time for this album to come out. You know, because right. if it had come out two or three years before... I think it would have been blown off because it wasn't mm-hmm. of the right. time enough. And yep. if obviously it came out two or three years later, it, it would have been blown off the yeah. same way that Waiting for the Punchline was blown off, you know? Right. So it was just like, even though it could have been bigger, but the time didn't allow it, I think that anybody that knows this band is more than more than words. Of course. Knows how perfect this fucking album is. Mm-hmm. Or even how perfect Point of Feet is. But, you know, just... You know, just the the span of the things like Warheads to Am I, am I Ever Gonna Change. Just how all over the place. Just perfect hard rock. Absolutely. You're going to have to edit a lot of those out. I don't know why I keep saying that a lot. Oh. Absolutely. It's our new you know. It's our, it's the new you know. Yeah. <laughs> I say amazing a lot. Um, number seven, Jackal. The debut album from Jackal came out in 1992. I still remember the first time I heard Down On Me. I was, like, sitting at my table at my house, listening to the radio, doing homework, and I was like, what in the shit? Just because it was like, I think they said the band's name, or whatever whatever beforehand, so I knew that it wasn't something old, but I'm like, what the fuck is this, and how is this, like, I don't know that I was having that exact thought at that moment, because, you know, when you're 14 or 15, you're not thinking, like, you know, I can't believe they're playing this on the radio. Yeah. 
you know, because to us it was still like, this is what should be on a radio warrant, you know. Right. But, right. you know, it just had this ACDC kind of feel to it. Mm-hmm. And I guess at that point you could say ACDC, Cinderella-ish, whatever, you know, but... I, I remember the first thing I heard from them was a, was a, I Stand Alone on Headbangers Ball. Okay. And I was like, holy crap. And to me, that's like, that's the best song on that record. Yeah. And, you know, um, yeah. I mean, I don't know. You say what you want about the Lumberjack. It's it's their shtick. It's corny. Um, and I think sometimes that's what they're probably known for, I guess, the best. Of well, course, obviously. Yeah. But there's just so much more to that band than the Lumberjack. Yeah. Um, I mean, even on that album, like When Will It Rain and stuff, it's just... Right. Um, even though it's like a serious yeah. song for that band. But, <laughs> you know, their stuff, I really like... Uh, Push Comes to Shove. And even like um, Kill the Sunshine, that song... Uh, you know, but yeah, that was definitely, that record was definitely, uh, that was a nice little shot in the arm. Yeah. Redneck Punk is, that's still just I mean, one of the, on. the funnest ones live, I yeah. think, to this yeah. day. And of course, Dirty Little Mind, you know, but yeah, just a great rock album that, like I said at the beginning of this, I don't think, still, to me, it's still kind of shocking that it they made as much of a name for themselves in that year that yeah. they did. If well, it had been a year before, it would have made more sense to me, but yeah, since times are starting to change, it's harder for a new band to do something like that. Right. And think about it. I don't want to get too far out of 92, but remember, um, even on their second record, they were able to go to and play Woodstock 94. That's right. Uh, name any other band from that era, yeah. from that genre that got to do that. Right. You can't. That's a good point. I didn't think about that. Uh, yeah. So I thought that was really fucking cool. Yeah. All right. My number six is Steelheart, Tangled in Rains. And I know that some people might listen to this and think, what the fuck is that on your list for compared to other stuff that was out? But right. people that, that don't know me don't realize how much I fucking love this band. And this album, it's kind of like... Kind of what you said with Skid Row earlier. It's like the first album is fucking great. It's cool. But this next album, the second album, right. took it to a different level. And Steelheart never really got the any really <clears throat> mainstream push with this album. Like everything was the first album and like yeah. the two songs. And then actually I guess three songs that She's Gone was like massive and every elsewhere in the world except here, but like, <laughs> um, Tangle and Rains came out and I remember Sticky Side Up like was a single, but it just kind of disappeared pretty quickly. Yeah. And then it's actually something that's talked about. Now I have recorded a podcast with, with Millie from Steelheart that I still haven't put out yet. Right. Um, <laughs> and I brought this album up and just said, you know, this is one of my favorite albums in that era and this and that. And he said, that he absolutely loves it, and then it it never got any of its just push because, you know, it wasn't long after that when they went on tour and he got injured, you know. Right. When that trust fell on him or whatever. Yeah. Um, and so then they were just done. So there's yeah. no reason to promote this shit anymore, yeah. right? But right. Andy claimed that 
in this coming year, he's going to really start pushing songs off this album live. So, but I mean, like this song, I have no clue if this is still accurate, but back in the nineties, the song, this, the title, not the title track, but the namesake title track, the song called Steelheart, um, was in the Guinness Book of World Records for the highest note hit on record by a male. I, I've I've, in a I've read that too. Yeah, who knows if that's still true or not? But yeah, and uh, like the song "All Your Love" was a ballad, and if this had come out in the same year that you know "I'll Never Let You Go" came out, this song probably would have been even bigger than that. Mm-hmm. And then you had heavy songs like "Loaded Mother" and "Electric Love Child," just like bluesy, hard metal-y kind of mm-hmm. shit. But yeah. Number five, Kiss Revenge. Oh man, this is a, this is an album that we could probably do a, an hour long episode. This yeah, one, yeah, we gotta watch ourselves on this one. Maybe we should someday. Yeah, yeah. But to just break it down to the bare facts, of course, I was into rock music, so I already knew who Kiss was. I already liked Kiss. Yes, I think I already already had smashes, thrashes, and hits at this point. Mm-hmm. You know. I had double platinum. Okay. Okay. <laughs> so you didn't have Let's Put the X in Sex in your collection like Jesus I did. Jesus Christ. But then this album came out, and, you know, we've talked about this many times. You'll hear other people say on occasion, if they're a diehard fan, they usually don't. But this is my favorite Kiss album. Mm-hmm. You know. I know. Oh, you, mine too. I know I, you still I, lean towards like the debut or something, but. Yeah, I mean, uh, it's a, the debut and revenge is like dead heat. Yeah. <laughs> Let me talk about a band. I don't know. I wouldn't say. Maybe I guess you could, because towards the end of the 80s, they were kind of fucking corny, doing some corny shit. But, like, talk about a band that massive reinventing themselves at the right exact moment. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. And, I mean, they yeah, went definitely. on tour with this, and they were, they still had bands opening for them, like Faster Pussycat and Trickster. But yeah. But then I know the next year, I can't remember who, I just remember they had heavier bands opening for them, and they're like, because, right. you know, every band around in the same time period mm-hmm. was influenced by this band. Yep. And this album, you know, had all the Kiss staple topics like Take It Off or I Just Wanna, you know. But then right. it had, like, these mega epic things like God Gave Rock and Roll to You Too yes. and, like, um, the fucking uh, Unholy, you know, that was co-written by Vinnie Vincent. It's just, like, a masterpiece. And then mm-hmm. uh, Domino, just so on. Yeah. No, my number four, Black Crows, Southern Harmony. And the right. Band. I mean, I, I don't... <clears throat> Another one that of the times, you know, was kind of out of left field compared to most of these albums we've been talking about. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah, totally. But, you know, they hit big two years before their debut, mm-hmm. and I was kind of into them. But when this came out, whenever I really got into them, yeah. with Remedy and Black... Uh, uh, Black Moon, Black Moon Creeping, and uh, what else is on that? Thorn of My Pride, um, so on. But it's just like Southern Hard Rock, I guess is the right way to put it, at its fucking penultimate peak. Yep. You know, I mean, I can't, if you made me pick out my favorite Southern Hard Rock, I don't even know if that's a real thing. Exactly. <laughs> but just Southern Rock, it's also bluesy rock, whatever the fuck you want to call it, Black Crows. This is the album. This is the number one album on any list, in my opinion. Number three, Stone to a Pilot's Core. Man, I mean, a debut, just like 
their counterparts on Pearl Jam. You put out a debut so good you can never fucking match it. Yeah, yeah. Not to say they didn't put out good music later, but Core is just like still to this day. It just has a tone in the guitar that you don't hear anywhere else. No. Even people are trying to sound like him. You know, Wyland's, you'll never, you'll never do it. Yeah, Wyland's voice was at yeah. its fucking peak. You know, because he he obviously went and expanded his voice, and but it's just like this is the Wyland I love the most, and kind of in the same sense as Dirt, where we talked about it being this drug riddled masterpiece. <laughs> this is the same way, but this one to me is a little bit a little bit happier in I a see. way. Even though it's not happy I get at all, that, yeah. it's a little more uplifting because <laughs> you hear a song like Plush or Cracker Man or something. Yeah. It's like, yeah, kind of fucking grooving. Exactly. Not the same way you do when you hear Down in a Hole, you know. But... Okay, number two. We're getting to the fucking nitty gritty here. Dog eat dog. Oh man, I got. Just say what you're gonna say because I. I'll I just you... I'll just kind of nod because I got I got got yeah. stuff to say. You know it. Warren's greatest album. Warren's album that came out maybe a year too late, you know, for it to be considered by worldwide masses. But it's another one you hear people to this day still saying <clears throat> it's an understood fact that people believe this is a great album. Right. It just wasn't commercially successful. Exactly. But just straight through it. I mean, you could you already heard it on Cherry Pie with most every song, but <clears throat> when you hear this album, it just shows you how underappreciated that guy was as a fucking songwriter. Yeah, for and, sure. Yeah, genuine. Yeah, you hit everything on this, you know. Mm-hmm. It starts out with, like, Machine Gun, Hold My Wall with the the heaviness, and there's heaviness later, but there's also these, ma- like, A Bitter Pill is this ballad that, like, I can't think of another band from that era that had a ballad that was even, I don't even know what to ex- compare it to, but that was like that, you know. Oh, yeah. It stood on its own. And then there's stuff like... Andy Warhol was right. And my bridges are burning. Bonfire. It just, I mean, it hit like every element that Warren should hit. Yeah. And then it ends with like this fucking metal blast to your face with Inside Out. Just like Revenge. We could probably sit there and talk about this for an hour, but I'm going to leave it because I know you got to get to it here in a minute. <laughs> <clears throat> my number one is America's Least Wanted from Ugly Kid Joe. The most underrated, have I said underrated enough this fucking round? <laughs> Rock album of the 90s, in my opinion. Or maybe the tied for the most underrated along with their next album, Minister Sobriety. Oh, man. But, because this album, I don't know if you call it underrated because it had two mega hits on it. Mm-hmm. But, and I'm not trying to say this to sound cool, but those are like probably my two least favorite songs on this fucking album. Yeah. I mean, because you. This that, album, that tells you how good it is. Yeah. I mean, this album, to me, is, you know, Whitfield Crane became one of my favorite singers. It's still that way to this day. <clears throat> Lyrically, the guy has always been a genius at that tongue-in-cheek, you know, lyrical content. Right. You know, they still do that to this day. And, you know, just songs like Don't Go, which to me is like their best song ever. Right. And then you got... You know, panhandling prince and um, goddamn devil. Yeah. So yeah, Come goddamn on, devil. dude. So damn cool. You know? Oh man, so damn cool. It's like I could listen to that so many fucking times. Come tomorrow. Yeah. Um. So, 
Yeah, I gotta stop because with Rob I, got, I got I gotta talk about I gotta talk about it too. That's right. Rob Halford was on Goddamn Devil for those that don't know. Mm-hmm. Yep. But I mean, yeah. I mean, Ugly Kid Joe is one of those bands the same way that you know we talked about a couple of these other ones where they get thrown into that hair metal category. But you know, it's oh, not man. a it's it's not a bad thing to me because we love hair metal, but. Where do you hear any of that in any Ugly Kid Joe song? This is just a band that was like hanging out in the 80s, probably listening to Suicidal Tendencies and Red Hot Chili Peppers, uh-huh. and just said, let's just form this into some fucking hard mm-hmm. rock because we also love Motorhead and Kiss. And yeah. they just combined all those elements together and just made this funky rock, you know, funk rock, funk melodic rock band. There you go. Yeah, exactly, <laughs> dude, exactly. And yeah, I will defend Ugly Kid Joe to my dying day. Okay. Hey, me too. Me I too. know. And now you're up. All right. So my top ten in the hard rock uh, realm world of 1992 would be "Don't Tread" by Damn Yankees. Oh yeah. Uh, I. I I really liked the first record, and I really liked those hits from the first record. And uh, of course, that's that was their most popular and lucrative, um, and that was cool. But when I first heard "Don't Tread," the the new single from from the new record back then, I was like, "Okay, this is this is a record I want to own." Yeah. Um, so "Don't Tread Just on that Me." That opening guitar riff. Like, oh yeah, <laughs> it's so fucking cool, uh, and it goes right on to fifteen minutes of fame. Where you going now keeps in that whole vibe of the ballad, like high enough. Um, Mr. Please, that's a great song. Um, to this day. Oh, yeah. It's uh, one of the best songs of that year. Oh, yeah. Uprising. Um, and, you know, there's a lot, you know, <clears throat> I, 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 I try my best to not let an artist's beliefs or politics have anything to do with if I like the music or not. I don't remember Michael Carleone being <laughs> but political. you know right, but he's a douchebag, okay? No, oh, just okay. kidding. Not Michael Carleone at all. He's <laughs> he's an amazing drummer for Leonard Skinner now. And I don't know anything about his politics. So we're just talking out of our asses. <laughs> but it's really hard because and I, I, I never really cared that Ted Nugent was had different beliefs than I do. But the last few years, he's just gone off the deep end and it's just craziness. And it makes it really tough to just listen to stuff, you know. <laughs> For me, anyways, you know. Um, but it doesn't matter because the songwriting team of Tommy Shaw and Jack Blades totally canceled that out and totally makes the, this band what it is. Yeah. Um, just the hooks and the, the, they have just a certain feeling. You know, and even in that one uh, Shaw Blade song they did for Tommy Boy, you know, it's still just got that feeling um, that only those two, you know, the, the, the catchiness and the way their voices complement each other. The and that song, I got that album. Shaw Blade's Hallucination. My hallucination, my hallucination. Yeah. What a great song. Yeah. And so I, I think that um, that just makes for such a great record. Um such memorable hooks, and I will always love this band. Always love this record. So that was my number. That was my number ten. 
Um, and let's see, I got to fumble it. Number nine is here from Trickster. Oh yeah. Uh, I think that that is such. It is such a huge jump, and I think it's just a travesty that this record didn't get its just due. Um, Rocking Horse, um, Blood Rock. Uh, I mean, what just 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 huge riffs and it just a huge voice from Pete Lauren, and I mean. The hooks. Uh, I think "Road of a Thousand Dreams." I mean, how can you not oh, sing yeah. that? And I, I forgot all the signs I, on that. I think I that, like, to some people, it, it might seem that that kind of stuff might seem cheesy or corny, and I think that's what people honed in on at the time. But to me, it's such an uplifting thing, and that was such an uplifting record. Um, I, 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 and it just, it's just one of those things that's lost through the cracks, you know? I mean, all their other stuff has been fun and cool, you know, especially off that first record. Um, but here was just, like, it, it was, it was their, like, it should have been the one, and it just got lost in the shuffle of the times. Yeah. So, um, nobody's a hero. Uh, damn good. Um, the power of love. Uh, I just think there's so many, there's so many hits that weren't hits on that record. Yeah. So it's a shame. I loved it, and I still love it to this day, and I don't care. <laughs> um, number eight for me is uh, um, "Hold Your Fire" by Firehouse. I was hoping you'd have that on here. Since you, I didn't. You, you knew I was going to, dude. And that again is just such a, another underrated. I mean, you know, their hits, their big hit is on their first record. But man, this record was just "Reach for the Sky." Yeah, I mean, what, what a, what a rocker! I mean, it was. Uh, sleeping with you, okay. Yeah, that lyrical content's kind of corny. Yeah, but man, what a great hook! What a, what a great you know, what a great groove. Um, but what so, about like "Rock You Tonight"? Like whenever that kicks in, he starts screaming, just like I mean, right? How I mean, do people God. not fucking love this band? It baffles me, dude. I don't, I I don't know. Get in touch. Yeah, I mean, it's just it's just so fun, and it's just like. Uh, that was that was the kind of thing that um that's the kind of thing that got me into rock and roll and it got me into hard rock it got me into heavy metal and i just i the feeling that an album like that gave me was so good i'm i'm not i wasn't going to let that go just because it wasn't cool anymore yeah you know um i don't know i, I you want to hear something totally Blind Melon didn't give me that feeling, so I don't want to listen to that. You know? Yeah. So, and and of all the records, this record was just, you know, get out of the way, man. Yeah. You want to hear something interesting? I do want to hear something interesting. Whereas, you know, Love of a Lifetime is like, you would think, as, assuming is their biggest hit, right? Right. 
But if you go to Spotify, when I look into your eyes, has more listens than Love of a Lifetime. Oh, there you go. Yeah. That, and that was what kept them going was their balance. Because when they yeah. had the third record out, you know, when it, when it was like, what, 96 or something? It's like 95 or 96. And they, they came out with another ballad and they had yeah. like an adult contemporary thing. And they still they still got a huge pop from that. Yeah, I Live My Life For You was mm. like a big hit like that we didn't even yeah. realize yeah. at that time. And we're fans of this band. We didn't realize this was a hit because we were listening to fucking whatever channel this yeah, exactly. was being played on. Yeah. <laughs> yep. 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 So, after that one, my number seven is The Extremist by Joe Satriani. Oh, nice. And, you know, and that was just another record. It's all instrumental. There's no vocals on it. But, and not every... You don't get an instrumental record like this too often. It's kind of like uh, Steve Vai's Passion and Warfare. Yeah. Where, so you, you're gonna you, you're gonna listen to an instrumental guitar player's record, and you're just gonna think it's gonna be like a bumblebee, a million or a million notes, you know, a second. But the the hooks on this record are so memorable, and it's so melodic. And yes, you get the shredding, you get all the notes that you want, but you also get like, you also get, you know, melody and you get hooks and you get things that you can sing along to. Um, and it's such a fun record, such a great record. Uh, I remember I bought this cassette and we, we spent our, we spent the summer in Colgate, Oklahoma, where my dad grew up and we, and that town was so small, they didn't even have a Walmart. We drove to Atoka, Oklahoma, and this cassette was there, and I bought it. <laughs> and it's a summer song. I mean, come on, dude. Oh, yeah. And you I know, thought that was earlier than that. Well, I didn't realize no. that. No. Okay. Um, but it's just got so many uh, crying, uh, why, uh, Rubina's Blue Sky Happiness, uh, the title track, The Extremist. Um, War is probably like, it's like, holy shit, man. I mean, this is just a, and, and and honestly, it's it's my favorite Joe Satriani record, and it was just so memorable. So there you go. Oh yeah. Number six uh, on my list of hard rock from nineteen ninety two is Three Sides Every Story by Extreme. Yeah. Um, it's, it's like we've said, you know, um, am I ever going to change? Warheads, uh, rest in peace. Stop the world. I mean, it, 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 it's it, it, so I, I don't know that you could get a record, I, you know, to go from the, their self-titled, the pornography to this, I mean, it, but it still all makes sense and all still all sound the same, uh, and the guitar work is just out of this world. I mean, that was such a that was such a great record to me. Um, so there's that. Uh, number five uh, for me is Black Crow Southern Harmony Musical Companion. Nice. Uh, I mean, uh, I didn't know you'd have that on your list. Yes, because and I go back and forth with Black Crows. You know, a lot of it I, I forget about, or a lot of it I just, 
you know, it's one of those bands that I really like and I've seen a lot. Um, but some of their stuff is, eh, some of it's really good. But th- that is just, um, w- what a great, just raw, emotional, um, just honest record that was. Um, no frills. Just back down to the basics. Um, you know, Remedy is such a fun song to play. Uh, so, that was definitely, that's definitely on my list. I think it's such a, um, um, I, th- I think it's a lot of, uh, what, I don't know, there should have been more of that kind of vibe at that time. Uh, but anyways. But was there or not? I mean, there was like Archangels. I remember writing that. Down. Yeah, but it just I mean, didn't. It was like Ian Moore, but he was like the next year, wasn't he? But, yeah, I mean, so. Uh, yeah. But there wasn't at that level, yeah. Right. And then um, um, took a big jump from the first album in the sense of oh, that first yeah. album oh, was just totally was straight totally. slick production, right? Oh yeah. And this one sounded like what the Black Crows really are. Yeah. Oh yeah. Um, number four on my list is Adrenalize by Def Leppard. Oh yeah. I can't believe I didn't put that on my list. Now I love I love that record, man. It's just so it's so big and it's so just wide open. Um, you know. The hooks are so big, I could probably wear them for a t shirt. (laughs) I mean, it's just, and you know, uh, I I love Let's Get Rock. Do you want to get rocked? Let's get rocked. Fuck me. Um, Well, he says, no, it is Let's Get Rocked. Is it? He, he starts the song, do you want to get rocked? But he, Man, the chorus is lucky. You gotta watch me. Yeah. Uh, anyways, um, Make Love Like a Man. Uh, you know, I mean, just... I love that record. Stand up, kick love into motion. Stand, we gotta stand up and kick love into motion. Yeah. If you're not doing that, what are you doing? Yeah. I mean, really. And like, you know, not to jump in on you, but like, I want to touch you and tear it down. Could have easily been on hysteria. Oh yeah, tear it down. Such a great song. So that 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 was that was awesome. Um, number three on my list is "Revenge" by Kiss. I mean, you know, I I love Kiss's debut record. I think that's one of the best. Excuse me, records of all time. You know, and we've gone, dude. When I was on this show regularly, you know, we've gone up and down all over the place about Kiss. It doesn't need to be talked about anymore. We know. Right. But, man, when I first heard Unholy, <laughs> wow. I, I didn't know that that band was capable of that kind of thing. Right. You know. And the, the whole record, just, you know, um, Domino and I Just Wanna and... The car jam eighty one thing was so cool. Yeah, uh, man, just what what a what a great hard rock record, you know. Yeah. Um. So that and it, and it's you know, I, I I don't know. We've gone over it so many times. Um, number two, we had Gene Simmons on this podcast. We, I mean, we did. I mean, come on, <laughs> number two. And the only reason this is number two is because 
the number one band. It's one of my all-time favorite bands. But number two is Ugly Kid Joe, America's Least Wanted. Um, I, I think that it, it's just... It was, and especially at the time, it's the perfect amalgamation of the hard rock and the heavy metal. Um, and and, and you, I, I just got to wonder where they came up with all this because I, I I don't know. I mean, because to me, when, when the Uglies That Wanna Be EP came out and, you know, I hate everything about you, this is cool, this is fun, whatever, I dig it, you know. But when this record came out and you heard Neighbor and you heard Goddamn Devil, um, you're just like, whoa, hold on, this is... This is just like, it, it, it's like the hard rock stuff, but it's also like, you know, the skater punk stuff, you know, you want to, yeah. I mean, I just. It's not just hard rock, it's got attitude, like. Yeah, and like, um, same side, I love that stuff, with like the funky kind of thing they were doing. Yeah. And, I, I, for me at that time, that was like, that was the perfect stuff for me that, that that was it um and i still listen to that record still to this day and it still is just to me i just don't see anything wrong with that record i can't you know and and you know whitfield crane is just one of the best vocalists that walks the earth um it's so underrated and it's so you know it's just not given the fair shake so yeah that, that's what i think on that you want to say one more thing about that? Real quick? Definitely, go ahead. Is if we had made this list in 1992 when we were 15 or whatever, this probably would have been my number one over metal, over vulgar display, everything. Right. Um, that probably would have changed within a year. By yeah. 90, by the end of 93, it probably would have been Doggy Dog and right. Vulgar Display of Power. But there was a moment where this was like my favorite album in existence besides probably Appetite. Yeah. You know? Well, and I'll also say that I always, I always hated and I never understood why Ugly Kid Joe got lumped in with all the hair bands. I, it just pissed me off. Because you look at them and they don't, they're not a hair band. They didn't have makeup. They didn't wear the flashy stuff they had jogging pants on and baseball caps and they were stuff. literally skater dudes from california like yeah, suicide it's like, tendencies yeah know, it's like, like <laughs> why why are you guys putting this in the same category as poison right like what is that why are you doing this the only reason is because of the time because even the song it's like everything about you and cats in the cradle don't really sound like an 80s rock band yeah yeah no. i think I, it's I just, literally just because they got popular at that time so that's what it's a part of yeah you know? i just i never understood that um and so my number one is warrant dog eat dog warrant is probably my favorite melodic hard rock band um dog eat dog to me was just a masterpiece i think that it was completely underrated and I think that if I think that if it came out a couple years earlier, it would have been bigger. Um, it shows you how great of a songwriter Jane Lane was, um, and, it, and it shows you how great musicians the whole band was. And uh, I mean, you've got a little bit of corny stuff on there. Machine Guns got some corny lyrics. Yes, yeah. sad Teresa. 
it's kind of got that catchy 80s thing going on. But, and I still think, like, some of the imagery at that time was a little corny with the short leather shorts and stuff. Like they were trying too hard to be right heavier. So you know, they didn't really need to. They could have just dressed like Tesla, you know? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah, totally. Um, so, man. But this record had so much, so much depth. It, it was heavier, but it was also like way, way better written. I mean, it's just, it's just a travesty that, um, and I've, I've, I've had many cassettes and many CDs of this thing, yeah. uh, many different formats, and I wore them all out. I mean, it's just uh, still to this day, um, 30 years later, um, I, I've got memories of that record, so many different, uh, you know, uh, when our when I was 16, our house burned down, and we were relocated to an apartment, and you know, that was one of the only cassettes I had. Um, and then, uh, then <laughs> at North Intermediate, uh, Anthony Lomagino, when I was at my locker, Anthony Lomagino shoved my head inside my locker. And so I, um, so I left my locker wide open to go chase him. And somebody got into my locker and stole all the tapes out of my locker, and that was one of them. No shit. No shit. I don't think I knew that. And I was so pissed off at at Lomangino that I took. I still had my lock in my hand, and I threw it at him, hoping to hit him in the head. And it whizzed right by his head and hit the wall. And Mrs. Brewster, the science teacher, saw it and chewed me out like you could have hurt somebody. And I'm like, well, I don't care. He he. Shoved my head inside the locker and it hurt, you know, blah, 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 blah. And they stole doggy dog. And they stole doggy dog. <laughs> so, I mean, that's just those memories, you know, and I'll just, I'll always love this record and I'll always, uh, just every note is just emblazoned into my brain. And we saw him live on that tour. And we saw him live on that for tour. That for the second time for and, us. Oh, yeah. And we've had Joey Allen on the podcast. And we had. The current singer of Warren, who opened that show. Yes. When he was the singer of Lynch Mob in 1992. So, that's just, yeah, there you go. So, there's my list. Yeah. (laughs) So, yeah, there you go. That's, uh, I guess, in a nutshell, why we love 92 so much. But like you said, I know we could easily do this about 91 or 90 or 93. 93, yeah. But 92, just because we've talked about it so much, we had to do it. Yeah, yeah, exactly. That was just a banner year. Yeah, because when you've got like dirt and core right there along with doggy dog and fucking adrenalize, mm-hmm. and then you've also got Pantera and White Zombie and yeah, then it's still just, Testament, Megadeth, and all this other stuff yeah. still in there. You know? It's like you got to talk about it. Yeah, but yeah, so there we go. Right on. Well, glad to have you back once again. Well, thanks for having me. I appreciate this it. This is. What? That's only your second time back, right? Right, right. Yeah. At least this one's a better circumstance because the last one was the Taylor Hawkins tribute. Oh, I know. I know. I know. But yeah. All right. So 
since you're here, one more putting you on the spot. You don't have to answer if you don't want to, but okay. um, since my next episode will be the best of 2022, do you have like a, a definite favorite album of the year or two or three favorite albums yeah. of the year? Because I know, you know what it's like. I keep a list and I, I keep tell and I keep going back to it. But when you ask me, I don't know. Right. That, that's how. So let me go through it again. I think that. Um, let me see. Let me see. Because I I just started this yesterday. I know for sure. Like making my list. And right. My top. My top two were easy. And actually, probably the top ten were pretty easy to just, like, throw up there. Right. But. Well, I, I think for sure um, Megadeth is one of them, if not the one. Um, let's see. Uh, I'm just, I'm just, like, jawed in my memory really good. Just so I would give you a bogus answer. <laughs> Yeah, I, I think. That star valve just came out two or three weeks ago. Yeah, I know. Okay. I mean, nice try. Yeah. <laughs> I I think in my you know I would have to go with uh definitely Megadeth, probably Thunder Mother. Um, let's see. It's like you had to ask me that, didn't you? <laughs> Is Crowbar high on your list this year? Or did that one? That was last year, wasn't it? No. Yeah? Is he room below? Yeah, was it this year? It's not on my list. I'm pretty positive that came out this year. I listened to it the other day just because I'm like, I can't remember how much I love this or not. <laughs> I mean, Lamb of God had a new record this year. Yeah, that was just a few. Right. A few, uh, couple months ago, right? Yeah. Ugly Kid Joe, speaking of, I think that's a great record. I think that's the best record they've done since they've been back. Yeah, I think so. Honestly. Too. Yeah, Zero and Below came out in March. It did? Is it not on my list? Holy bleeding from every hole, baby. Well, that, that's a that's a Friday night for me. Um, <laughs> Saxon Carpe Diem. Oh yeah. Uh, I love I love the Slash record. Yeah, that's another one I listen to again just to see because I haven't. Oh, here it is. Yeah, Crowbar. Listen to it much. Man, I'm out of it. I think uh, I think for me it would be. The ghost record is really good. Yeah. <sighs> Excuse me. I think Megadeth. Okay. I think that would probably be my favorite of the year. If if I had to, if you had if you had a gun to my head, <laughs> right. that's that's it. If you wanted to be the sick, yeah, the dying or dead. Yeah, I I skimmed through my list, and I still think you know Saxon. That's a great one. But I think Megadeth. Um, 
And I think that um, this kind of doesn't count because it's a cover, but I think um, This Plant's on Fire, Make It Up with Sammy Hagar is like one of the best songs of the year. Yeah. So they're kind of green. Yeah. Yeah. That's awesome. It, it, you shouldn't think about it, but in, in a way, you th- when you do think about it, Sammy Hagar and Dave Mustaine, they sound good together. Yeah. Yeah, you would never really expected that. <laughs> and look what happened. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Right on. Well, Hell once yeah. again, thanks for coming back and doing this 92 thing. No problem. There you go. 1992. How many times have we said that year in this episode? Lots of great stuff there. We did our top tens in hard rock and metal. You know, just kind of barreled through it. One thing that I wanted to throw out here right now that I completely forgot to ever mention during this episode was that an album came out in 92 that I knew wouldn't make my list. You know, it was cool, but it wasn't anything I delved into enough for it to be in top 10. But I know a lot of people revered it. They love AOR, but the album from Hardline, their debut album, was in 92. And I know Jason feels the same way, but the song Hot Shuri is just so fucking cool. Okay? So if we did like a top you know, whatever list of songs of 92, I would think that would probably make so much great stuff that year that wasn't even mentioned. You know, I kind of threw some some stuff out there like, you know, Danzig, whenever I was joking, because I know Jason doesn't like him, but like, Rollins Band had a great album that year. Nine Inch Nails had, you know, the Broken EP. Dream Theater, well, I mentioned them. They were on my list. Caius and Trouble. Both had albums that year that were great. Widowmaker. I mean, D. Snyder's side band. Izzy Stradlin and the Juju Hounds was the first thing he put out after he left Guns N' Roses. Soul Asylum Grave Dancers Union. Great album from that era, you know, from that genre of rock. Beastie Boys and R.E.M. See, it's just kind of all over the place. But, you know, and just kind of, if this is your first time listening or you haven't delved into too much past stuff 363 previous episodes and let me just look at my I don't have Jason's list in front of me but I can remember well, let me think a couple that he had on his list that I didn't that I know off right off the top of my head are damn or well damn Yankees but uh Def Leppard and Firehouse we've had on members of both those bands let's see here on my top 10 metal Megadeth had on three separate members of Megadeth on this podcast. White Zombie. Two separate members of White Zombie have been on this podcast. Testament. Alex Skolnick of Testament has been on this podcast. Helmet. Paige Hamilton has been on here twice. And then looking at my hard rock list. Warrant. Like we mentioned, a couple different members of Warrant have been on here. Kiss. A couple different members of Kiss have been on here. Steelheart. Miljinko, the vocalist of Steelheart. He has not technically been on here yet, but it's been recorded, and that episode will be coming very soon. I had Great White. I spoke about them. Mark Kendall's been on here a couple times. King's X, I mentioned them. Ty Tabor's been on here. Trickster. Jason talked about Trickster on his list. Two different members of Trickster have been on here. But yeah, so much great stuff. And you know, and the thing is, when you look at this 30 years later, Several of his bands still put out music to this day, if not just touring, but 
for instance, Megadeth, Megadeth, Ugly Kid Joe, both had albums this year. Anyway, I thought I had something, I thought there was more than that, but regardless, that should be making some year-end lists, especially Megadeth. But yeah, just check that out, you know, and speaking of, you know, tons of bands that I didn't list that have been on this podcast all over the place. So just dig back through there, check it out. We're coming up on the end of the year. I've got the best of 2022 coming next week, featuring the top albums of the year, according to me. We've also got this episode with Meljinko of Steelheart coming soon. Have another episode with Justin Foley, the drummer of Kill Switch Engage coming very soon as well. So that's something else to look for. I've also got a couple other cool ones scheduled, which I will announce once they happen. Wherever you're listening to this right now, follow, like, subscribe so you don't miss future episodes. You can listen anywhere. If I mean, obviously you're listening somewhere right now, but you can check this out on Spotify, Apple Music. You can listen directly on the website, lethalunderground.com. Most anywhere podcasts are heard, you can listen. Follow us on all the socials. They're right there on the website as well. Like, subscribe, share, retweet, follow, comment, blast, whatever the fucking word is. If you see something, you know, as the saying goes, if you see something, say something. Well, in this case, if you see something, share something or click something or like something. Because all you got to do is like, comment, whatever. That helps out tremendously because it helps spread the reach of that post. All right. With all that being said, getting close to the year. Got one more episode at least coming, so be on the lookout. Once again, hope you have a Merry Christmas, and until next time. Uh, we'll we'll do this again in 30 years. Oh, yeah? When we're in our <laughs> mid-70s? Yeah, yeah. I'm will, we be the, will we be doing 2022, or will we be doing 92? No, we'll again? still be doing 92. Okay. Fuck it. Of course. <laughs> <laughs> Thunder Underground, y'all.